Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask you, if you have your Bibles today, to take them and open them with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, for our time together this morning as we open God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the words, that's fine. The words will be here on the screen right in front of you. And uh, so we'll open God's Word together and look there at 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, if you're here today, if maybe you missed last week or just missed the opportunity, uh, we would encourage you, if you are part of our community groups here at Crosslink and plan to be so for the next few months or the next few weeks for that matter, uh, we would encourage you to stop by the coffee cafe and grab a book on your way out. Uh, these books are free to all those who are participating in community groups this semester. And uh, we're going to be reading through this and talking through this in all of our community groups. So please make sure uh, you get connected and get involved. We started 10 brand new groups this past week. And so there's plenty of room and opportunity for everyone. And so we want to encourage you, get in God's Word and get to fellowshipping uh, with, with God's people in the context of a community group. Today we're in the second, uh, series, a second sermon of a series entitled, Called to Commit. And we're looking at what it means to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and committed to His church. And so this morning as we open God's Word, I want to pick right back up today where we left off last week, and that is with a personal question. A question for every single one of us to consider this morning. The first question is simple. Are you committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Do you follow him as the Lord of your life? Are you surrendered to him in your life? Are you committed to Christ? But the second question of consideration takes it a step further, and that is this. Not only are you committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but are you also committed to his church? Are you committed to his church. Now, the fact of the matter is, in our culture, especially today, sometimes it's difficult for us to clearly describe and define a church. Sometimes we look at the church and we identify the church based upon its location or based upon its building, its meeting place. And we look at that and we look at a building, so to speak, and we might say, there is the church. Other times, we might identify a church by their actions, their works in the community, their, the good deeds that they're doing in a culture around them. We might say, there they are, there's the church. Sometimes, we might identify the church based upon their beliefs and their creeds, their traditions, and how they practice certain things. But the fact of the matter is that the term church in the New Testament has a very simple definition. The word church literally means an assembly of called out ones. In other words, it's a body, it's a group, it's an assembly of people who've been called out of something and called into something. According to the New Testament, literally the church is referring to all those who've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of death into light. We've been called out of sin into the gift of salvation. Whether you realize it or not this morning, the very moment you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says, praise God, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you are changed, and you are brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we hear that word church, we see it used in the New Testament in two different ways. Somebody say two ways. Two ways. First, it's used in the context of what I'm calling the, large, the larger church, the big capital C church. 
And literally the capital C larger church is used in reference to every believer from every age, from every nation, from every denomination. It doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what their stripes might be. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, at that moment you are brought into the larger C, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second component to the expression used of the church. And that second component is the one that we're really focusing on in our time together this morning. And that is what I'm calling, there's the little C church. That is the local church. That's the local body of believers that commit themselves together for the purposes of missions, discipleship, and fellowship. Often in our culture, sometimes we don't understand the application of both of the different components. Sometimes we don't understand the importance. We would say, oh, well, if I believe in Jesus and I'm a part of the larger church, then it doesn't really matter whether or not I'm a part of the local church. The simple fact of the matter is an examination of the New Testament would show that the commitment to the local church is equally as important as your participation and partnership in the larger church. In fact, in the New Testament, 114 times we see the word church referenced. And over 90 of those times, it has a direct context to a local body of believers. In fact, when you think about it in this way, most of the commands and instructions and exhortations that God gives to believers have a direct correlation to the local church. H.B. Charles Jr. said it this way, pastor and author, he simply said this, you are not on a biblical path to spiritual growth if you are not a participating member of a local church. And we're gonna talk about why that's the case over the course of this series, but I want us to understand that God has called us clearly not only to be a part of the larger church, but also to be a part of a local body of believers, both for his glory and even for our good. Now, I want you to know this morning, as we look at this series entitled Called to Commit, I realize that what God is calling us to do in his word is very different than what the culture around us says. The culture around us today in many ways influences our perspective of a lot of things, sadly at times, even the church. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that I do enjoy about our culture. And there are some messages that I've begun to accept over time that, frankly, I have to be careful that they don't skew my view of the church. For example, many years ago, there was a fast food restaurant known as Burger King. Anybody know the restaurant? They're the home of the... Whoppers. You've eaten there before too, apparently, okay? They came out with a motto several years ago that literally said, have it your have it your way. Oh man, it was news. I mean, this was the big thing. In other words, they were saying, we're not going to serve you a cookie cutter burger. You're going to tell us exactly what you want. It's going to be made to order. It's going to be the way you like it. And of course, that motto caught on. Not long after that, a company developed by the name of Netflix. And Netflix, when they started, I don't know if you remember this, this long ago, but when they started, you would sign up, you would pay a monthly membership, they would send you a nice little newsletter or catalog in the mail, and you would literally check off your top 10, like 10 movies or something. You would send it to them, and next week, magically in your mailbox appeared a few DVDs. Now, you didn't know which ones you were going to get, you just knew that you were going to get two or three of the 10 that you checked. Oh, that was then... But my, have we changed now. Now we can open our laptops. Now we can open our smartphones. We can click the app and we have at our disposal thousands of options to choose from. Why? Because their messaging is this. 
You can have it your whatever you want, we can provide for you. Go to Amazon to shop. You can look up a simple item. I mean a simple item. And you not only will find that item, you will find 100 options, 100 colors, and bells and whistles you didn't even know existed. Why? Because they're saying you can have it your way. The culture around us has created a culture in which they're saying to us, hey, whatever your preferences are, whatever your likes are, whatever pleases you most, that's what you should pursue. After all, you deserve it. Get it. Have it your way. Unfortunately, oftentimes, even when we view the church, we can create a culture in which we look at the church for what we want, what we think it should be, what we like, what we prefer, what makes us comfortable. And what I believe what God is calling us to recognize through the course of this series is, is that when it comes to the church, frankly, it's not about what Matthew Kirkland wants. It's not about what's comfortable. It's not about our preferences, likes, and pleasures. It ultimately is about one thing. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ and what brings him glory, honor, and praise. In other words, the church exists not for my benefit, oddly enough, not, even, not for my glory. It is for the glory of the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus alone. So how should we respond? How should we respond to this call to commitment to the Lord and to his church? I believe we see in 1 Peter chapter 5 the second key component to understanding this call to commit. Last week we began by looking at the church and its master. And we saw from Ephesians chapter 5 that Jesus, the Bible says, is the head of the church. There's only one head, and it's not the pastor, and it's not the board, and it's not whatever else. There's one head of the church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the master of the church. But how did he model commitment for us? Do you remember last week? In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church. Listen to his commitment. And he gave himself up for her. Jesus literally and willingly gave his life for the church. I mean, he literally bled and died, went to the cross, experienced crucifixion for the, for the church so that we would be born again and would be saved and would be changed into his likeness. But did you know that the sacrifice and the commitment of Christ was not a standalone act? The fact is that Christ calls every child of God, every believer, to also commit to the church. So where do we see that modeled? I believe if we're following the structure of Scripture, the next place we should see that modeled is in the life of the pastors and the ministers of the church. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 5. So I want to ask you, if you're physically able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word? Listen to what the Bible says directly from the Lord. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Here's the instruction. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be, what's the next word? Examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the time that we've gathered here together today. Thank you for the freedom that we have to read your word. And God, I pray that you would have the freedom to move in our hearts and lives today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a will to humble ourselves and respond to you. And God, I pray today in this message that largely is focusing on the calling and the role of a pastor within the context of the local church. God, I pray first and foremost above anything and everything else that it would not be me who is seen, but it would be Jesus that is seen. That it'd be Jesus who is worshiped. May Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, minister to our hearts and lives, speak to our souls, and may he get the glory and praise for everything you do here this morning in our time together. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, the church and its ministers. The church and its ministers. You may be here this morning and may be thinking and wondering, Pastor, why in the world are you taking a Sunday morning to preach about the role of a minister within the church? Don't you know that, that I'm not called to be a minister? I'm not called to be a pastor? Well, I, I want you to know this morning, I have wrestled all week long with whether or not this is the message that God would have me to preach. Truth be told is that uh, in, in many years of pastoring now, 17 years, I know that doesn't sound, I mean, 17 years of pastoring, it's flown by in many ways. Uh, but the fact of the matter is in 17 years, there have been numerous times that I have stood with pastors in other countries, or I've sat with seminary students and people who are trained to be pastors, and I've shared uh, this type of message or this type of, of, of training, if you will. Uh, there have been times in Bible studies with smaller groups of uh, 15 to 30 people where I've talked about the role of a pastor. In 17 years, I've never stood before a congregation on a Sunday morning and addressed everyone and said, biblically, here is the calling and role of a pastor. Because in many ways, uh, it would be easy to think, well, this only applies to those who are pastors. But, another, but in essence, this week, God began to really convict me about the equipping of the church where they help the understanding of what it is that God calls a pastor to do. Please understand that this message is important for two primary reasons. Number one, it's important because every pastor needs accountability. Every pastor needs accountability. Sometimes we like to put pastors on a pedestal. We think they have it all together, but here's the reality. They are imperfect people just like you and I. They put their pants on one leg at a time just like you and I. They have their own fears, insecurities, weaknesses, struggles, and here's the reality. Every pastor needs accountability. In preparing this message this week, and I just say to you wholeheartedly, literally every day and every moment of preparation this week, God was nailing me on something. And in that, God was just calling me to, to really pause and examine and consider, are there other areas and are there other things that he is wanting to stir and do and move in my life to mold me and shape me to be more like Christ? So pastors need accountability. But the other reason it's important is this. The church needs a biblical understanding of the role of a pastor. We need a biblical understanding for, for a few reasons. First, we need it because you will not always be right here at Crosslink. There are going to be some of you that God calls you away as you graduate or take other jobs and go to other places. Well, how do you know where to go and how do you know what to look for as you're praying about the next local church, as you're praying about that pastor? Do you just go to what's popular, cool, trendy, or whatever else? Or do you, do you go looking for something that will honor God? You need to have a biblical understanding. But not only that, even in our culture today, there can be many misunderstandings based upon our backgrounds, based upon the traditions that we've held to, based upon our own opinions and preferences. A lot of things can get in the way. In fact, in 17 years, I have seen people leave a church over some very interesting things, many of them directly targeted at the pastor. For example, he preaches too long. That would never happen here, but he preaches too long. He didn't visit me in the hospital. He didn't approve of my new relationship. He didn't take my call while he was on vacation. 
He wasn't practical enough. He was too deep. He wasn't vulnerable enough. He was too polished in his speaking. He didn't write a note on my birthday. And my favorite, he didn't respond to my Facebook post. <laughs> now, now we laugh. That seems lighthearted. That seems simple. But we all have our own understandings of what is expected of the pastor. And I was te- teasing about that just the other day. We had a luncheon. There were several of us in our church that were at a, at a luncheon. It was largely staff and uh, uh, several specific leaders. And we were sitting there and I just happened to put my plate down and here came a family to sit beside me. And there was a little boy, one of our, 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 one of our children here. And, and he was a three-year-old little boy. He sat down beside me and we're sitting there eating. And he's, a, he's three years old, but he's very articulate. He said, Pastor Matthew. And I said, yes. He said, I have a question. I said, okay. And he pointed at the centerpiece, the decoration on the table. And he said, Pastor Matthew, why is that so curly? I don't know if you've ever seen a floral decoration where they have those sprigs and everything's really curly and spirally. And I was being silly. I said, buddy, I don't know. And I I took it out of the decoration and I put it on my hair and I said, but it reminds me of long curly hair. And he laughed. And then his father looked over him and said, son, why did you ask Pastor Matthew that? And he said, daddy, he talks on the stage. He knows everything. And I, I was like, hey, buddy, tell Miss Heather that Pastor Matthew knows everything, right? <laughs> that was his mindset, right? I mean, that was his little understanding. And here's the fact, I don't know everything, but God does outline clearly the calling and the role of a pastor. And so I want us to look in our time together. I know our time will be tight and our time will be brief, but I please, I pray you'll listen clearly. There are five things that I believe God wants us to see this morning about the church and its ministers. So first thing I want you to see this morning is simply the calling of a pastor, the calling of a pastor. Uh, uh, please understand this morning that it can be very easy in church culture at times. Let's just say that there's a, a, a young man, a, a young student who grows up in the life of the church. God draws him to salvation. God, God molds him and shapes him. He grows. And, and in that process, God begins to call him to the ministry. And as God calls to the ministry, there's a, maybe a student pastor or there's, there's pastors and leaders that invest in him. They mentor him. Maybe he goes for training and equipping and then he stands before an ordination council where they examine him and they kind of vet him, if you will. And then the time comes that the church officially ordains him, which means they're affirming God's call on his life. And they're saying, yes, God has called you to the ministry. Every time that happens, there's a temptation for a church and at times, even a pastoral team to have the thought, we call this person to the ministry. There are other times that a church like Crosslink is in a place where their lead pastor who has served faithfully and God has used him greatly, that God calls him away to Staten Island, New York, and he faithfully serves the Lord. And a leadership team of the church begin to pray together and seek the face of God together. And God begins to bring them into place with other people who who are praying about the same thing. What would God do? And there are times like it came for me in the spring of 2016 where I came here and I preached God's word and the church had a meeting and there were question and answers and, and all these different things. And then the church came together and they voted a vote of affirmation unanimously. Unanimously, Yes, we believe that God's calling you to serve as our pastor. There's a temptation in those moments for a church to think he is our pastor. He's our employee. We have called him to serve in this way. But please understand loud and clear. The calling of a pastor is always a calling directly by God. In other words, it's not a church who selects the person for ministry. It's not a board who selects a person. It's not even a lead pastor who selects someone for ministry. No, the fact of the matter is a calling of ministry is a calling by God, and the minister must always remember it. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 reminds us of these simple verses. It says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. We must understand that the calling of a pastor, the calling of that man comes from God. But not only do I notice what we, what the, that the calling comes from God, notice what God calls them. Verse one, the Bible says this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. God calls the minister, he calls the pastor. The actual word here is the word elder. This word elder is synonymous with other key words such as bishop and as overseer. These words are used interchangeably to describe the same role or office within a local church. And in this context, it's used in reference to one who leads. So I want you to consider then a few things about this calling. First, consider the position of this calling. And then secondly, the placement of this calling. So what does this position look like? What does the calling of a minister look like? Maybe you hear the word lead or you hear the word leadership and you start thinking of pictures of authority are pictures of dictatorship or pictures of someone who who calls the shots and barks the orders or whatever else. That is not the calling of a pastor. Listen to the calling of a pastor. Verse two, what's the first word? Shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God among you, the Bible says. In other words, God's view of leadership is not a boss, it's not an authoritarian, it's not someone who's, who's barking orders, no, but God's view of leadership in this position is one who literally serves as a shepherd. In fact, you may not have known, but we get the name pastor today from the Latin term literally for shepherd. Now, when Peter wrote these words in that culture, frankly, uh, people, people understood sheep. And they understood a shepherd. They understood that culture because it was a totally different culture than what most of us are probably living in today. There might be a handful of you who have sheep in your backyard, but most of us don't, right? So we're a little bit kind of disconnected from this image. And yet in Peter's day, the people understood it clearly. Let me try to illustrate that in some simple ways. Um, I grew up in Alabama. And most of my time we grew up, we had some sort of acreage. From the time I was five to the time I was 15, we had about five acres of land. On that five acres of land, probably the most we ever had at one time was about 30 to 40 sheep. But growing up in that house and being the oldest of four children, my primary responsibility on the little farm was to take care of the sheep. We had sheep and we had chickens and we had rabbits. And, but in that process of taking care of sheep, God taught me a lot. God taught me a lot about loving people and serving people. And what I didn't realize in that moment was that he was preparing me for what his calling upon my life later would be. There's a lot of powerful images about taking care of sheep that you can learn in the process of learning also to be a pastor and to be a shepherd in that capacity. For example, did you know with sheep, you can never lead them by force? You can't. In fact, you can't lead them by force. If you try to lead them sternly, or even if you stomp towards them, they retreat and back up. If you keep stomping towards them, the ram's going to bow his neck and he can get ready to charge. That's just how it is. You also can't lead a sheep quickly. If you lead a sheep quickly, they're going to run and scatter all over the place. I remember early on learning a powerful illustration about shepherding 
from, from something that my dad taught me. In fact, I was probably about 12 or 13 years old, and we had a lot of sheep in the flock, but they were all ewes. They were all female sheep. And my dad desired to have a ram in the flock. And so I remember my, my dad going to a local farm. He spoke with the farmer. He chose a specific ram and he agreed on a certain price. And I remember the day that a truck arrived and four men got out of this truck. It took four men to get this ram into the pen. I mean, I remember seeing these grown men getting this thing and wrestling with this sheep, getting him into the pen. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this, this is not gonna be good. I remember them wrestling, not because he was heavy, but because he was the most cantankerous ram I've ever seen in my life. And I remember as they got done putting the sheep in the pen, they began to walk out. One of them looked at my dad and said, good luck with him. My dad just kind of laughed it off, said, thank you, had him go on. As soon as those guys left and got off the property, my dad looked at me and said, Matthew, come over here. Your job is to take care of the ram. Thank you, Father. God bless you. You know, I mean, like, really? And I was like, what do you mean? Like these four guys couldn't even handle him. Matthew, your job is to take care of the ram. Here is exactly what I want you to do. And I remember my father telling me, he said, Matthew, here's what I want you to do. Every day, it is your responsibility. I want you to come out here to the barn. I want you to take a scoop of feed. And Matthew, I want you to go towards that ram. And I literally want you to get on your knees. And I want you to talk nice to him, get down below his face. And I want you to offer him food. Well, Dad, what, what, what do I do if he doesn't take of it? Matthew, he's probably not going to take of it for a while. But I want you to get down low. I want you to be, be kind, be gentle, and I want you to offer feed. And if he doesn't take it, take the feed, put it in a bucket, get all the ewes together, put them in a different area, feed only the ewes, but leave him out. So I did. I did that for a week. Now, he's got grass and he's got water, but he had no other feed, the, the nice sweet feed with all the nutri nutrients that he needed. I did that for a week. I did that for a second week. I think it was finally like the third week before he even started getting near me. And he'd get close and he'd get close. And then about that time, he would snort or he would stomp and he would turn his head in disgust and he would go away. This went on for probably a month. I don't even remember how long it was. Now, I'd get down low. I'd talk nice. I'd be sweet. I literally would be below his face. Finally, guess what happened? The day came when he quit being so stubborn. The day came when he, for lack of a better term, gave in. The day came where he finally decided to trust me. And I'll never forget putting my hand out there like that. Like, and he came right up and that ram began to eat out of my hand. The next day I came back, he eat out of my hand. The next day I came back, he began to eat out of my hand. And would you believe that sheep became so bonded to me that every time I walked into the pen until literally the day that we moved out of that house when I was 15 years old, every time I walked into the pen, guess who was right beside me? I mean, like, right, he was so close to me that I couldn't get any other work done in the field without having to push him away. Seriously. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that the calling of a shepherd, it's not to bark orders. The calling of a shepherd is not to be the dictator. No, the calling of a shepherd is to provide patient, persevering, gentle leadership, not moving by force, but by gently leading the sheep forward. In that illustration, frankly, my dad was the chief shepherd. He was the one giving instruction. He was the one who had the plan. He was the one who knew what was needed. I was simply the, 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 the under shepherd fulfilling what my dad was calling me to do. The Bible says that the pastor, his calling and his position, if you will, is that of an under shepherd. We are serving the chief shepherd in the way that we nurture and love and care for the sheep that God has called us to. Consider his placement. The scripture says, shepherd the flock of God 
among you. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but if you do, I want to encourage you to take a pen and underline the word among, where it says among you. These two little words, among you, give incredible insight and implication for our calling as a pastor. Now, there are some who would say, well, you know, like the local church really isn't all that important. You know, it's, what matters really is to be a part of the larger church. If you believe in Jesus, you're part of the larger church. So why does it matter to be, really be connected to a local church? Please understand that if, if the Lord's calling for the pastor was just to the larger church, he would not have included these other two words. If God's calling for us as pastors was simply in reference to the larger church, he would have simply said, pastors, shepherd my flock. Pastors, shepherd my flock. Shepherd all my people. Shepherd every person who believed in Jesus Christ. Shepherd all my flock. But can I just tell you for one, I am so thankful that's not what God said. Because if he simply said, pastors, shepherd my flock, it would be an absolutely impossible task. Because that would mean that I have a responsibility and an accountability for every one of the Lord's sheep in every nation, from every denomination, in every age. In other words, literally it would mean that I am spiritually accountable and responsible for thousands and thousands and millions and millions of believers that I likely will never even meet. Now to be clear, I'm thankful that God has called some who have incredible ministries that are reaching masses and masses of people. But it is humanly impossible for any shepherd to shepherd all of the flock of God. In fact, much of the flock of God is already in heaven with the Lord and will be reunited with them in the future. The fact of the matter is no shepherd can do that. It is humanly impossible. But that's not what God said. God didn't say simply shepherd the flock. He said shepherd the flock of God among you. In other words, he identified a specific location, a specific parameter, if you will. In other words, the pastor is responsible for those who have been placed in his care. It's describing those believers who have been uniquely identified through calling and commitment to be a part of the local household of God where the shepherd serves. In fact, I would say to you this morning that months, many times the conflict and the division that occurs with a misunderstanding of the role of a pastor is oftentimes because people have an expectation of the shepherd when in reality they haven't committed themselves to be under his care. And so God is calling us to recognize there's a calling here as a shepherd and there's a placement, the flock of God among you. The second thing I want you to see is this, is the conviction of a pastor. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? Hey, you're getting my, hey, hey, where's this going? Please understand, we're gonna get to application at the end, I promise. The conviction of a pastor. I love this statement. The conviction of a pastor. There are many things that a pastor should have conviction about. But here, God shows us specifically what his conviction must be in the context of his serving. The first thing I want you to see is his responsibility. The Bible says, pastors, shepherd the flock of God among you. Here's the key statement. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. The shepherd by God's divine design and plan is to serve, yes, is to be humble, yes, is to be gentle, yes, is to be faithful, yes, but he is also to exercise oversight. An overseer is simply one who looks over something or someone. 
In essence, he is a manager of the things that God entrusts to his care. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as God begins to give the requirements of an elder, an overseer, a pastor. Here's what he said. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to, key word again, manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, does that mean that a pastor's home is perfect? Absolutely not. Okay? If you think it means the pastor's home is be perfect, it's not going to happen. My home's imperfect just like yours. My, my, my children get out of line sometimes just like yours. My, my wife would say that sometimes I don't meet up to the standard just like your wife would probably say that men at times, right? We, we're not perfect. But, but the idea here is just as a pastor would lead and manage what's been entrusted to his care in the context of his household, he would do the same, oversee it, taking care of what's been entrusted to his care in the context of the local body of Christ. It's a picture of oversight. I think we have a great illustration of that with a shepherd. A shepherd has to oversee the flock. In fact, if you just put sheep out in the field and say, I mean, they, they, they won't be there. Something will have devoured them or they will have killed each other. They're not going to be there. It has had to have oversight. So a shepherd with the sheep has to constantly be looking out for the care of the sheep. Do they have the pastures that they need? Do they have the healthy grains to eat that they need? Do they have uh, good fresh water? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Do they have a roof over their head? Do they, is the soil, that, what about the environment? Is the soil too moist to where they're going to get foot rot and other diseases? Or, or is everything good? The shepherd has to overlook and to make sure. Is the, are the fences secure? Are the predators going to come in? Are there things that are going to cause the sheep to literally oppose each other and, and, and wreak havoc on the flock? The shepherd has to overlook all those things. Just as a child needs the oversight of a parent and the sheep need the oversight of a shepherd, so too does the local church need the oversight of a godly, caring pastor. So we understand this is, what, this is the responsibility. God is calling them to practice oversight. Now, please hear something very, very, very important. If you're still with me, would you say, I am? Good, half of you are. It's awesome. Okay. Here is a major challenge in the context of pastoring today. It's a major challenge in the context of the local church today. And frankly, without a healthy biblical perspective, it can create numerous areas of division and conflict and even devastation within a church. I asked you a moment ago to underline the word among, but now I'm going to ask you to underline in verse 2 the word oversight. It is so important that we understand that the shepherd has a unique relationship and responsibility in the church. And without this healthy understanding, it will create problems. Because in our culture, it is easy for us to sometimes say, well, we need a shepherd who's going to be among us. And at the same time, it's easy on the other side to say, we need a shepherd who's going to be over us. Now, let me illustrate the difference. Sometimes there are churches that say, we need a shepherd to be over us. We need a shepherd to be overseeing us, telling us what to do, guiding us into all things. And, and as a result of that, in that position of being over, many times we look at the shepherd and we put him on a platform, we put him on a pedestal like he's perfect, like he can do no wrong, like he needs no help, almost like he's God himself. But can I say to you this morning, God never created any pastor or shepherd to ever fill a place that only Jesus is worthy of. Only Jesus is worthy of exaltation. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus is the righteous, holy, uh, perfect son of God. Only Jesus is worthy of being glorified and followed in that way. At the same time, 
Many will say, well, I want a pastor who's going to be among us. I want a buddy. I want a friend. I want that pastor who's going to be there for me every time something goes bad. I want him to take literally every phone call. I want him to be, he's going to be my buddy. We're going to be like this together. Here's a problem with that. Sometimes when we have that type of relationship, we literally get to a place where we don't recognize that his primary calling and responsibility from God is to oversee. Both create an unhealthy situation. And so what God is saying is the pastor is to be both among the sheep and at the same time practice oversight. He's to be among them. Why? Because he's also a sheep. Bah! That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm a sheep. I needed God's grace and mercy and forgiveness to be brought into the fold of God just like you. I'm a sheep. And as a sheep, I'm one of you. I love you. You're my brother, you're my sister, I'm, I'm your brother, yes. And so we do life together and we pray together and we talk together and we rub shoulders together and yes, I want to know you and yes, I pray for your families every single week and yes, every request you submit on every Sunday, we pray through every one of them. I keep them in my Bible throughout the week and I pray for them all week until I get the next list. We're among each other, we're family. And at the same time, there's a calling for the shepherd and the pastors to practice oversight. It's not that there's authority. It's not, it's, not, it's not the sense that they're barking orders. It's just in the sense that it's a position that God is called to manage and to oversee and to care and nurture his body. Is it easy? No. Is it uncomfortable at times? Yes, but that's the calling. Absolutely. The pastor moment. What the Bible time. Notice, secondly, not only his responsibility, but notice his ruler. I love this statement. What the Bible says is this. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. God. In other words, the pastor who leads well, the pastor who serves well, the pastor who's in it for the long haul, the pastor who honors God is the pastor who recognizes that his calling is to serve not according to the will of man, not according to his own will. Well, I think we should do this. Well, I want to do this. No, it's the pastors who serve according to the will of God. How does a shepherd fulfill his responsibility? How does a shepherd not give up when sometimes, sometimes, just a few times, sometimes the sheep can be stubborn? Want to go their own direction. Want to do what they want. Oh, I know what the Bible says, but this is what I want to do. How does a pastor, how does a pastor speak to the sheep that he's among when the sheep that he's among is rebelling and going their own direction and opposing the truth of God? And that pastor knows he has to warn and admonish and even rebuke. Here's how he does it. He does it knowing that his calling is not according to the will of man or the will of self, but according to the will of God. In other words, in all things, the pastor should be seeking God. What is your will? What is your plan? What is your direction? What is your instruction according to scripture? In other words, it's not about the title. It's not about the benefit. It's, not, it's only about the will and the purpose and the glory of God. The pastor who serves according to the will of God has his focus both on the chief shepherd and the sheep so that he might effectively lead the sheep in the way that the chief shepherd would have them to go. Third thing I want you to see this morning is the character of a pastor. The character of a pastor. Notice what the scripture says in verses two and three. He's to do this according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now somebody may be 
would hear this message and hear the calling of the pastor to, to lead and the calling of the pastor to serve in that capacity, the calling of the pastor, the, the, the calling that God gives, the authority that he gives to oversee and to manage what God entrusts to his care. Somebody might look at that and say, well, man, I, I want that. I, I want to be in that position. I, I want to be that leader. I want to be that one overseeing. That's what I want to do. I want to remind you this morning that God's calling is not based upon your want, but based upon his will. In fact, if you look at that and you hear that and think, well, I want to do it for this, I want to do it for that, the Bible says literally that we are not to serve for sordid gain. It literally means for selfish motives. The literal translation was initially for filthy money. It's not about what you get out of it. It's not about the benefit you get because ultimately serving the Lord should all be about what you're giving to the Lord, what he is worthy of. You're offering your best to him. Sadly, I think there are many ministers and all of us are capable of being there. I think there are many who, frankly, whose ministry can easily become about their name and their fame. They can easily become glory hogs. I am regularly examining my life and regularly asking the deacons around me and our pastors around me, our pastor's council, in the context of accountability and encouragement and challenge, that everything we would do, it would all be about the glory of the Lord, not about the glory of man. Please hear me loud and clear this morning. If you're in the ministry... We've had many ministers actually visiting us recently who've been on sabbatical and other things. If you feel led to ministry for your own sake and for your own name, for your own platform, I beg you for the Lord's sake and for the benefit of his church, don't continue. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Terry. It's not about any of the pastors. It is about the name and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say about this, this character? Here's what he said. He said, we should serve the Lord. For, for, we should serve him practicing oversight according to the will of God with eagerness, with eagerness. This is the same word that Paul's used in Romans 1.15 when he said, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. When you go back and study the context of that word in Romans chapter one, what literally Paul is saying is, he's saying, listen, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the gospel message to Rome. It doesn't matter what it costs me. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the consequence, whether I go there as a prisoner. It doesn't matter if I die. Here's what I know. I am eager for the cause of Christ to take the gospel all the way to Rome, no matter what it costs me. What God is calling his servants to do, those who serve as ministers and as pastors, is that literally we would look at the cost and regardless of the cost, we would say, my life for the glory of God. Whatever it would take, God, I want to please you and serve according to your will, even if it means the taking and the giving of my life. This picture here is one of, of, of character, of this willingness to serve to whatever extent. And so he says in verse 3, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Yes, there's a calling of oversight. That's very, very clear. But that is not so that you literally lord it over people. But instead, through sacrifice and through service, you provide an example to the people that God has placed in your care. In Luke chapter 22, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knew what they were debating and fussing about. So Jesus turned around and said to them in Luke chapter 22, verses 25 and 26, here's what he said. He said, the kings of the Gentiles, listen to the statement, lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. 
In other words, Christ's words are clear. A leader is called to set the example through humble service. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, give us the qualifications of a pastor. But I would say Paul summarizes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. The character of the pastor must be that he can say with the apostle Paul to the body of Christ, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. No pastor is perfect. But our love for the Lord and devotion to him and our service to him, our example, should be of such that we could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Final two points, and I'm going to say them quickly. So listen quickly, okay? If the person beside you is falling asleep, give him a holy elbow, all right? Two things I want you to see. One's important because I want you to know it's the action of the pastors here. But the second is important because I think it's what God is calling you to in your own action and response. The fourth thing I want you to see this morning is the commitment of a pastor. The commitment of a pastor. A pastor of a local church has three primary responsibilities in taking care of the sheep. Much of what we often get upset about and been out of shape with concerning a pastor have to do with our cultural traditions Sometimes just our hurt feelings over misunderstandings. And frankly, there are many people here today who are part of Crosslink who've come from other backgrounds and situations where there's, there's a lot of hurt. Uh, can, can I just say to you that I'm a sheep too. I've been in churches before and I could preach a series of sermons on hurt related to things that God's allowed me to experience and grow through. But according to scripture, there are three primary callings and commitments that a pastor must make. The first and foremost is simply this. It's to feed the flock. The shepherd's calling from God is to feed the flock. Matthew 4 verse 4 simply says, It is written that man should not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, the source of substance for the sheep is not man's opinion, it's not man's ideas, it's not some creative cool fad necessarily. No, the source of our nourishment and feeding for the sheep is the word of God. As God is my witness, as long as God gives me opportunity to serve as pastor of Crossland Community Church, God's word will not only be the foundation, it will be the focus of every message that we have because we need feeding from God's word. You don't need my opinion, my ideals, or anything else. We need God's word. Secondly, the second commitment of a pastor is to lead the flock. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 then shows us how that happens. The Bible says, again, listen to the source, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, where do we have our source of leading? Where do we have our source of direction? Where it is? It's all in the word of God. In other words, the pastor leads not in the sense of saying, you must, you must, you must, but in the sense of saying, God's word has spoken and God's word says, and so we must therefore follow. Pastor's calling is to feed and is to lead. And finally, the third commitment of a pastor is that he must guard the flock. He must guard the flock. Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul was writing to a group of believers that he knew that he would not likely see again. But he also knew the challenges and the attacks and the difficulties that were coming. And so here's what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. He said this, he said, be on guard for yourselves. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock 
all the flock, he says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Listen to what he says. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was looking at those elders and he was saying, guys, false teachers are going to come against you. They're going to try to present all sorts of things. There are going to be people, even within your midst, rise up against, against what the teaching of the gospel is. They're going to be filled with pride and with arrogance, and they're going to try to divide, and they're going to try to destroy because Satan is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I want you to know you can stand firm, and you can stand firm on the word of God. And as long as you stand upon the word of God and feed the flock and lead the flock, you'll protect the church as God is calling it to grow and to move and to fulfill its calling. God's plan for a pastor and the commitment of a pastor must be to feed and to lead and to guard the flock of God. Crossling, I want you to know this morning, by God's grace, in October of 1996, long before I knew there was a church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and long before you knew me, in October of 1996, God called me to serve him as a preacher of the gospel. I didn't know what that meant at that time, just to be honest with you. And frankly, I was terrified of what that meant at that time. I remember in that season of my life, like saying like, God, I'll do anything else. I'll be a lawyer. I'll do anything else, God. But I don't want to do that. I remember going through that season of wrestling with God. But in October of 1996, I came to the place where I surrendered and said, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to do, I'm willing to do it. That was a long time ago. Just as clear as it was in October of 1996 that God was calling me to serve him as a minister of the gospel, I want to fast forward all the way to February the 2nd, 2016. On February 2nd, 2016, I had learned about this church and I knew what God was doing here. And I began to talk with the leadership team and we were praying and we were seeking God's will. Lord, is this of you? Is it not? Would you show us your plan and would you show us your purpose? And I remember as, as clear as it was that God ever called me to preach that as I was sitting there at my kitchen table and reading God's word and reading through the book of Haggai and coming to Haggai chapter two, I remember in that moment that God convicted me and he moved so clearly in that moment that I knew then and that at that moment that God would eventually have us in Harrisonburg. I didn't know the timing. I didn't know how. I didn't know the details. All I knew is that God was saying, go, and I will be with you. The fact of the matter is, is that several months passed, time unfolded, and by the end of June of 2016, the Lord had my family out here. I want you to know loud and clear, I am not a perfect pastor. But as God gives me life, as God gives me breath, by his grace and with his help, I want to be a pastor who points you to the chief shepherd in everything that we do. By God's grace and with his help, I want to feed God's word to us as sheep. And I emphasize the word us as sheep. Do you have any idea how many times I'm studying God's word throughout the week and God is just teaching me and convicting me and molding me and shaping me. And so when I come, it's not me preaching to you. It's us together receiving God's word. 
By God's grace and with his help, I want to feed you well. By God's grace, I want to serve you and lead you well. By God's grace and with his help and only for his glory, please understand, I want to protect you well. Can I say to you this morning, that's not just my commitment to you. That's the commitment of all of us as pastors. Because I don't serve alone. This team of pastors, our pastor's council, I'm just telling you, there is such a love for you and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is such a a dependence upon him and such a hunger and a willingness that in everything we do, that Jesus alone would be exalted and that the body of Christ, you, his sheep, would be edified and built up. That is the commitment of a pastor. The final thing I want you to see this morning is the care for a pastor, and I'm gonna close I don't have time to go into all the scriptures. They're a part of your weekly reading. So this week, I want to encourage you, take that worship guide, read these scriptures, and you'll see literally almost word for word what I'm about to say. There are four simple actions then in the care for a pastor that God calls the sheep to, God calls the church to. Four things in the New Testament. What should your response be to those who shepherd you, those who are both among and over you? Four things. Number one, 1 Thessalonians 5 says to regard them. To regard them. It doesn't mean they're on a pedestal, but it does speak of your respect and attitude towards them. Regard them. Secondly, pray for them. Pray for them. Why? Because we need your prayers. The fact of the matter is this morning is that we live in a day where there is an all-out satanic spiritual attack against the truth and those who proclaim it. Pray for your pastors. Thirdly, Submit to them. That's the hard one, isn't it? Hebrews 13, 17. Submit to them. It's the idea that we are to follow them as they lead and as they serve us. And fourthly, we are to support them in the work. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It's not that, all right, we got our pastors. They're doing the work. The church is good. All right, we can sit back and chill. No, we come alongside of them as they seek to equip us for the work of the ministry. All right, we're going to wrap up. I want to close today with a few questions. A few questions. What is it today that God is calling you to do with this message? I realize that this message was different. I realize that you might be sitting there thinking, but wait a second, I'm not a pastor. God's not calling me to be. But what is it that God's calling you to do with this message? First, I wonder first, as you're here today, There may be some of you here this morning, frankly, that God is calling into ministry. There may be some of you here today that God is calling you to serve him in a way that frankly you feel inadequate for. It may scare you to death. I've been there before. But I wanna encourage you, God always equips those he calls. So this morning, if God's calling you, Don't debate it or deny it. Don't excuse it. Just say yes to the Lord. Secondly, maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, Pastor? God has not come to be a pastor, but yes, God has brought me uh, into his fold, so to speak. I've been forgiven. I've been saved. and I've never really thought about this perspective. I want to challenge you to consider how are you doing in those four areas of response? How are you doing in regarding highly your pastor's? How are you doing in praying for them? Submitting to them as they serve? How are you doing in supporting them in the work that God's called them to? For the 
building up the body of Christ. How are you doing in those areas? And if you see that you're lacking in one of those areas in the way that you're praying or submitting or supporting the work or the way that you're, you're encouraging them, what is it that God wants you to do with that? If you don't know, ask God to give you wisdom and direction. But if you know, commit today that you're going to say yes to the Lord and do it. Finally, you might be here today and think, man, this has got to be the weirdest message I've ever heard in my life. If that's you, I'm not offended, okay? Maybe you're here, like this picture of Jesus, I don't even know where to begin. Like this picture of Jesus being this chief shepherd and, and me being the sheep is totally foreign to me. Like I don't get it, I don't understand it. But I do understand that there are things in my life that aren't in order, there are things in my life that aren't right, there are things in my life that are not joyful and peaceful and frankly, I came today because I need help and I need hope. I came today because I know something's missing and I don't know exactly what it is. And so I, and I came looking for that. But I want you to know this morning, if that's you, I believe what you're needing and what you're describing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not that you believe in Jesus as just some historical figure in the past. Oh yeah, I think he did this or that. But no, like that he literally lived. He literally died on the cross. He literally rose again. But today he invites you to a relationship with him, to know him, to fellowship with him, to learn from him, literally to be nourished and to be fed by him. The fact of the matter is many of us sometimes don't understand that because there've been times in our life we're like that illustration a while ago. Jesus has offered. He's offered grace. And he's offered forgiveness. He's offered salvation. He literally, is, he's, he's gotten low, like he's humbled himself. He came and gave his life on the cross. And it's like he's gotten down and he's like, here, I'm, I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you a new life in me. I'm offering you grace and forgiveness and mercy. I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you joy unspeakable. I'm offering you peace that passes off. It's like there have been times in our life that Jesus has gotten low and he's offered it. But so often in our own life, hard in our neck we're like we're like that cantankerous ram and we're like but I don't want it Jesus I, I know you're offering grace and forgiveness I know you're offering life I know you're offering what's good for me I know you're offering what I need but but I don't want it right now I want to pursue my life I want to do my thing I'm gonna do it my own way the problem is as we go our own way we get to the place where we're desperately miserable and hopelessly lost Here's the beauty of Jesus being the good shepherd. He still comes and he still offers and he still extends and he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Frankly, it's not until we humble ourselves and decide to trust him that we begin to experience the joy and the blessing of having a relationship with him. I, I know, I remember what it was like to be that cantankerous ram. Truth be told, in my old nature, that sometimes that rebellious ram likes to creep back up. But what God is calling all of us to do, especially for those who've never come, is simply to humble ourselves and trust him. 
thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.